0: Greetings in the Master's name. My mind went to Hebrews 2 where it says, we see not yet all things put under him. And like I mentioned, was it last Sunday that according to the expositors, that refers to man, which I always thought it referred to Jesus. But anyway, we see not yet all things put under him. And so is that some of the things that are not this, all these ailments and so on. We, and then praying about the captors, the captives in Haiti. And if you read a little bit about Haiti, I mean, we can be thankful for the country we live in. It's like the gangs control over 60% of the country and the politicians use the gangs to carry out some of their manipulations or whatever. And so it's a pretty sorry situation. And I went, and my mind also went to Peter where it says uh, about a new heaven and a new earth. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation of God and is looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God when the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So we live in a broken world. Now, it's not a it's not a uh, it's not a hopeless situation. In other words, we we do have we have we have hope, we have answer, we have we have something to offer to this broken world, but we do live in a broken world. So, looking some more at Hebrews, and uh, I. Uh, don't want to uh, unduly draw this out, but I thought this morning I'd just do a little bit of a review or summary or overview or whatever. And so you can turn to Hebrews chapter 1, um, or to the book of Hebrews. One, one method of Bible study is book study. There's different, different methods of Bible study, and, uh, but one method is a book study. And that's kind of what we're doing here in these messages. Uh, That often involves um, an outline, looking at an outline of the book, and I haven't done that here. Uh, If a person was doing a personal intense book study, he'd probably have a very detailed outline. Um, And there's usually multiple ways an outline can be developed. But a very simple outline for the book of Hebrews would be like first chapter through Chapter 4, verse 13. If you look at chapter 4, verse 13, in my Bible, there's a break there. It starts a new section. Uh, so Hebrews 4, verse uh, starts talking about Jesus as a great high priest. So from, like I say, in a, in a very general way, a very simple, broad way, outline the book of Hebrews from the beginning 1.1 to 4.13 you can say it's focused it's on Christ's person on Christ's person and then from 4.14 to 10.18 if you go over to 10.18 um, you'll see it's talking about just before that it's talking about the priestly work of Christ and then in 19 4.19 it says having therefore brethren boldness and it's talking to us then, uh, and so from 4.14 to 10.18, is talking about Christ's work. 11 to 4.13 is Christ's person. And then 4.14 to 10.18 is Christ's work. And then from the rest of the book, from 10.19 to the end of the chapter 13, is the Christian's walk. So the person of Christ, the work of Christ, the walk of the Christian. Very, very brief outline. And even briefer one, sometimes it's outlined as doctrinal from 1.1 to 10.18, And practical from 1019 to 1325, some people don't really care for that uh, description because the doctrine is also practical. So if you try to say parts of doctrine, parts practical, maybe that's making a separation that's not necessary. But anyway, I kind of like that simple one, Christ person, Christ work, the walk of the Christian. So just a very simple outline. And that work of Christ focuses on his priestly work. Uh, And there'll be a lot about that when we get into it. Okay, this is from the introduction to the Epistle to the Hebrews by Charles Erdman. Some questions. Does Christianity claim to be the perfect and therefore the final form of religious belief? And the answer to that we would say is yes. Does Christianity claim to be the perfect and therefore the final form of religious belief? If so... On what grounds does it base so extraordinary a claim? So if we say that's true, what is the basis for that claim? And then the third question he had in the introduction, what obligation thus rests on its adherents to appreciate its full significance and to share its riches with the followers of other faiths? Such are the questions raised and answered by this fascinating letter to the Hebrews. And that was in that introduction. I thought that was good, but then something happened that made me think a little bit more about it. Um, Do we claim it's the perfect and final form of religious belief? Well, yes. And so then what are the grounds for that claim? And then what's our obligation to share that significance and riches? Thursday evening I stopped in at CVS getting a little closer to closing time, and wasn't many people in the store, and I stopped to get some cards. Uh, I often can find kind of what I'm looking for there. Um, and, like, I want a card for Noah and Ada Ro- Noah and Ada Rhodes' 70th anniversary. That's tomorrow. And uh, Bruce Rock's 40th birthday is... Maybe it's already over. And... Um, Oh yeah, and then and Thursday uh, I got a haircut in case you didn't notice, and uh, my barber um, I found out it was his 80th birthday that day on Thursday, so I thought, well, I'll get him a card, and uh, so I was looking for three cards, so I found my cards, and like I say, it wasn't many people in the store, and the 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 clerk she was just doing stuff in the aisle, so when I went up to to the register, she got behind the counter just a a young lady and uh so uh i said to her i said uh how many anniversaries you had and it was like you know what and i said well i bought an anniversary card she said oh i just broke up my boyfriend two days ago and uh well i had talked to her a little bit she was a student at jmu studying computer science and uh i said uh and i said you broke it up and she said yes and I said, well, it is serious, I said, uh, to find someone that will commit to you and and that you'll commit to them. And I said, uh, the Bible gives a lot of direction along these lines. She said, I don't believe the Bible. And I said, well, where do you get your direction? And she said, the Quran. And uh, So, you know, I wasn't interested in getting into a discussion, really. I maybe should have been, but so what could I have said? I was thinking about it later. And I was thinking about the direction the Bible gives. In other words, we say it's the perfect and final form of religious belief. And so on what do we base those claims? And we say... Uh I'll just mention that uh, again when we review those first three verses, but that God has spoken. We have this tremendous revelation from God, and we think it's the best. And so thinking about, I said, the Bible gives a lot of direction. And she said, well, she doesn't believe it. And so where does she get her direction? The Quran. And I don't know what the Quran says, but I know what the Bible says. I mean, the Bible says things like uh, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church. And that's just give, 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 sacrifice, sacrifice. And it says, uh, it says husbands be not bitter against your wives. You're supposed to uh, be in harmony so you can pray together. And it says uh, in Romans, it says, to the husband, that his body doesn't belong to him, but it belongs to his spouse. Well, it says it both ways. And I don't, I I suppose there's probably some nice sayings in the Quran, But we have this revelation from God, and it gives direction to issues of life. So Jesus Christ, okay, now back to the first chapter, first three verses again. Jesus Christ, the full and final step or act of God revealing himself to man, to humanity. And says God at sundry times, okay, there, bit by bit, piece by piece, here a little, there a little, but the picture became clearer and brighter as the years and the centuries went on. There were many separate revelations, each setting for the portion of truth adding to the other for a continuous and progressive revelation culminated in Jesus Christ. Peter said, "We have also a more sure word of prophecy, where until you do well, that you take heed, as unto a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts." And thinking about that verse, or looking uh, at it a little bit, um, and uh, and studying it a little bit, it uh, perhaps it's got a future reference when it talks about the day star rising in your hearts. But I always took it to be the revelation of Jesus Christ, uh, because the, the Old Testament prophecies, the Old Testament gives hints about the coming of Christ. But he came in the New Testament, and we see it. or We have the, we have the opportunity to see it. And uh, so until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Let's see, one, one place said it like this. This the prophets were like candles which give light to the blind until the brightness of the gospel well the blind mean, you know, seeing in the dark, I can't see in the dark. Until the brightness of the gospel began to shine, a more full and open knowledge than was under the shadows of the law, that clear doctrine of the gospel. And uh, that that day star, I think the day star is talking about the sun. The sun is a star, and it's the day star, and until the day star rises in your hearts, uh, you know, the analogy to Jesus Christ. And this, this week, there were some really pretty sunrises, brilliant sunrises, especially yesterday. You're looking at the mountains, you know, and, and you know what, so this, I see Saturday morning, I think it came up at 728 over from where I was standing and looking. Uh, I see yesterday morning, Saturday morning. Um, and so you know like for 20 minutes before maybe even before depending on how things are the clouds and so on but you know you start to see the brightness and it gets brighter and then where the sun's going to come up you know it gets brighter and brighter and then the sun comes up and it's just brilliant well anyway until the day star arrives in your hearts it's brilliant light and truth um The book, um, no, I see, I didn't get this from the book. I just forget where this came from. Hebrews was written to show how Jesus Christ had replaced Judaism as God's perfect revelation of himself. Jesus is the very character and essence of God. Whatever revelations appeared before Jesus were but shadows or outlines of what was to appear in him. Like one of the books I have on Hebrews is called From Shadow to Substance. Uh, so the Old Testament was the shadows and the outlines and Jesus is the full picture. The brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, his phrase there in the first three verses. And Jesus are seen all the moral and spiritual glories of God. It is through Jesus that the very character of God shines forth. So we keep talking about seeing Jesus. We would see Jesus, that book. i put that in your I put that in your mailboxes here sometime back, and if anybody wants uh, a copy of your own that didn't get one, I have, still have some. Uh, and I put a, another uh, tract in your mailbox this morning called Himself. And most, I wonder if I didn't do that before. I'm not sure. Most of you might already have it. But uh, anyway, I, just another. Focusing on Jesus Christ. And another thing we emphasized here in these first few verses was that God has spoken. And that's just so marvelous. I mean, I've said it before, but it's just so marvelous that the, the omniscient, sovereign, creator, controller of the universe bothered to reveal himself and truth and the way things work, reveal everything to us God has spoken. The beauty, the wonder, the marvel that God has shared with revealed to man truth, what life is all about and how to live fully and meaningfully. And again, I'll read a little account here that just is a story, um, just a snippet, an example of the truth of that. This is about a Frenchman, and I don't know French, but I suppose it might be Calais, be the way you pronounce it but through my college days in France I was an agnostic strange as it may seem I graduated without ever having seen a Bible the education I received proved of little help through frontline experiences as a lad of 20 in World War I what use the philosophic banter of the seminar when your own buddy at the time speaking to you of his mother dies standing in front of you a bullet in his chest Was there meaning to it all? One night a bullet got me too. An American field ambulance saved my life and later restored the use of my left arm. I was discharged and resumed graduate work. I found myself probing in depth for meaning. During long night watches a few yards from the German trenches, I had looked at swollen bodies dangling in the barbed wires. I had been strangely longing for a book that would understand me, but I knew of no such book. Now I would in secret prepare one for my own use. And so as I went on reading for my courses, I would file passages that spoke to my condition, then carefully copy them in a leather-bound pocket book I always carried with me. The day came when I put the finishing touch on the book that would understand me and help me. A beautiful day. At last, I opened my precious anthology. As I went on reading, however, a growing disappointment came over me. Then I knew that the whole undertaking would not work simply because it was of my own making. At that moment, my British-born wife, who knew nothing of my project, appeared. I had once for all made the subject of religion taboo in our home, And then he's got this note. She'd secured a Bible from a Huguenot pastor, which she wanted him to read. As she now stood in front of me, she meant to apologize, but I was no longer listening. A Bible, you say? Where is it? Show me. I have never seen one before. She complied. I literally grabbed the book and rushed to my study with it. I opened it and chanced on the Beatitudes. I read and read and read now aloud with an indescribable warmth surging within me. I could not find words to express my awe and wonder, and all of a sudden the realization dawned upon me this was the book that would understand me. I needed it so much that I had attempted to write my own in vain. I continued to read deep into the night, mostly from the Gospels, and lo and behold, as I looked through them, The one of whom they spoke, the one who spoke and acted in them, became alive to me. The circumstances amid which the book had found me made it clear that while it seemed absurd to speak of a book understanding a man, this could be said of the Bible because its pages were animated by the presence of the living God. To this God I prayed that night, and the God who answered was the same God of whom it was spoken in the book. God's revelation to us. The book, but then Jesus is also the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. But I say we have this tremendous revelation of truth. God has written a love letter to us, a fairly long one, but that's what it is. Yes, God has spoken and revealed to us who we are, our problem, and the solution. Again, in those first several verses, it says, when he had by himself purged our sins, our problem is the sin problem. And God has provided for that in Jesus Christ. And And when we get into these chapters 4 through 10, it just, the high priestly work of Christ and the sacrifice and how much better it was than the Old Testament sacrifices. He had by himself, he has by himself purged our sins. God is a holy God. And it says, is it Malachi? It's one of those prophets there towards the end. He is more... Now, I don't have the exact words, but he cannot look on sin, it says. And we are sinful people. When he had by himself purged our sins. The heart of the message, Christ is not only the revealer of God, but the redeemer of man. The high priestly work of Christ is one of the great themes of the book of Hebrews. So this tremendous Message, this tremendous revelation of truth, this is a tremendous account of what Christ has done, and it says, "Therefore we ought to give them more earnest heed." That's the first part of chapter two. Therefore we ought to give them more earnest heed. Uh, Williams' translation says, "That is why we must pay much closer attention." You probably heard those words before. Pay attention. That's what this verse says. Pay attention to this salvation. And don't neglect it. Don't don't dri- let it drift past you. It says every transgression in the Old Testament, every transgression and disobedience received the just recompense of reward. Again, Williams' translation says every violation and infraction. Uh, Knox's translation said every transgression of it, every refusal to listen to it. So how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation and and you may have heard of, or you may have even read that famous sermon of Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And the illustration, I've read at different times, but I, I couldn't find it right this time. But <clears throat> as I remember, the the uh, illustration of the old Indian chief that was uh, a Christian and was asked to explain salvation. And he uh, he made a little circle of sticks and uh, took a worm and put it inside the circle and then he lit the sticks on fire. And as the heat has got more heat, the worm is quite very uncomfortable, you know, and then he reached in and got the worm and took it outside. And that was his illustration of salvation. And of course, we understand we're saved for a lot more than just a fire escape bridge and to escape hell. We're to s- the beauty of living for Jesus in this life and the kingdom of God and having the uh, meaning and purpose that gives the life compared to uh, earthly pursuits and politics and so on. Well then, uh, going on, and we've emphasized this before then too, but for as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, uh, that Jesus, of course, okay, here we are Christmas season, uh, the incarnation, Jesus became a human being, and that, that's a mystery, of course, how God could become a man, and we can't really explain it, but that's what the Bible says, and and so he came and lived among us, the first chapter focuses on the deity of Christ, the second chapter focuses on the humanity of Christ, um, in fact, uh, I was, uh, some of these verses, just to get a little bit more uh, variety of meaning there, I I got off my shelf this book, uh, 26, the Bible, from 26 translations, and it just takes phrases from various translations to give you a little more meaning of the words. And right beside that book, I don't have my things organized in any particular order, uh, and right beside that book was another book called Jesus, Human, and Divine. So this was an old standard book on Jesus as a human, Jesus as God. He was both. Um, And, you know, that was a great struggle for the early church to... To, to formulate uh, what they how they approach that, uh, accepted that, because it's like I say, when man tries to rationalize, rationally figure out everything about God, he comes to a dead end. Because God is bigger than our human minds. And so we we accept what it says without trying to reduce it to what we can necessarily uh, rationalize or understand. Then verse 9 in chapter 2 says, He was crowned with glory and honor. Here again, we're just reviewing some things. He was crowned with glory and honor. And we referred to uh, Philippians 2, uh, familiar verses that he made himself from no reputation took upon him the form of a servant was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself became obedient to death even the death of the cross wherefore god also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name and i don't know if i mentioned this when we were going over this or not but i wanted to emphasize it the path of humiliation leads to the place of glory the path of humiliation leads to the place of glory. It did for Christ, it does for us. Uh let's see, how does it say it? If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him, Scripture says. It is given unto you in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on his name, but also to suffer for his sake. It's another verse. I don't have the reference for it. I, When you memorize verses you should always memorize the reference before and after so that when you have the words you also have the reference but i don't have the reference for that one but just those words come to me and then verse 10 it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of salvation perfect through sufferings again what Williams said, uh, Williams' translation, it was appropriate for him, who's was the final goal and first cause of the universe. I like that statement. The final goal and the first cause of the universe, which is what this verse says, but it, it says it in words that we hear so often, we don't think so much about what it says. You know, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, the, the final goal and the first cause of the universe and again, I gave this up, I guess it was last Sunday. Three reasons Jesus became a man. In verse 10, he's the captain of our salvation. He's our leader. He shows us the way to victory and glory. And then in verses 14, where it says he's, he's, uh, he's destroyed him that had the power of death and delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So he's the deliverer. He frees us from the fear and the power of death and the devil. And in the last verses, which we kind of skimmed over pretty rapidly uh, the last time, uh, I'm going to read those verses. 16 through 18. In chapter 2. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made likened to his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. We have these themes coming through because it talked about when he had set, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. Here we have a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. And like I say, when we look at his priestly work, there's four or five chapters on it. It'll come through over and over again. But it says, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. So these last verses here show him as a faithful high priest. He understands understands and sympathizes with us. It says, he says, made reconciliation. As a high priest, he made reconciliation for the sins of the people. And he is able to succor them that are tempted. The word succor there means aid or relieve. Uh, He's able to give immediate help to any that are tempted, the way Williams translates it. And so Jesus... Okay, God is infinite. And so, infinity. There's no limit. So God can understand us, but somehow we as humans, it... uh, We... I mean we know that God is infinite, He understands, but somehow because Jesus was a man and suffered everything like we did, we somehow feel like He He can understand us better because He went through it Himself. And uh, and that's kind of what it says here. But he, he is able to help and give aid. He's able to succor them that are tempted. Now the word they're tempted means tested, tried. And so I don't know what all we want to throw into that category, but, but our our struggles struggles, and Thanksgiving evening, we went to James and Catherine's for supper, and uh, they had uh, a neighbor lady there, she was actually a high school classmate of them, of mine, of mine, and she uh, just lives close to them now, and she's a widow, lady, and uh, her husband had uh, been in a bad truck accident years ago, and spent almost a year, I think, in a burning and rehabbing, and he got over that, but then he did pass away, and then not too long after that, her son was killed in an accident very unexpectedly, and so she said, she said, uh, it hurts all the time, never goes away, and I believe that, and I didn't anything I was, because I didn't want to be superficial you know just give pat answers but I was thinking you know you have to find your comfort in Jesus Christ now she, she would consider herself a Christian but we have to go to Jesus Christ in our struggles it's like um, um Anna Mary's told me already about conservative midnight ladies years past that I forget uh, what her husband died from, but he died before she did, and quite a while before she did, and she always wore black. The rest of her life she wore black, which I guess is okay, but in there again, like I say, I, I have never experienced it. And so I can't say that, you know, I totally understand, but I know that God understands and that Jesus had lots of sorrows and he's able to aid us and so we need to find our comfort. We need to go to him in our troubles and our trials Yeah, and there's mourning, and there's sadness. But anyway, uh, I just uh, let, let, turn to Psalm 8, uh, I mean, it's not Psalm, Psalm 8, I think it's, uh, why don't you to turn to a song in here, in the uh, hymn of the church. Yeah, it's 881. Okay, 881. Who's the author of the song? You know, what the, which one is the author of the song, which one? I mean, the words. Which one's the author of the words? Yeah, Jane Bonar. The other one on the other side has the music. Um, and what year? OK, 1845. Horatius Bonar was born in 1808, and uh, when he was 35 years old, he married. He married uh, Jane Catherine Lundy, so that's where the Jane C comes from. <clears throat> so that would have been 1843, and God blessed their home with children, but the first five died in infancy. So it appears that this song was probably written soon after the first child died. And what does it say? It says, fade, fade each earthly joy, Jesus is mine. Break every tender tie, Jesus is mine. Dark is the wilderness, earth has no resting place. Jesus alone can bless. Jesus is mine. Tempt not my soul away. Jesus is mine. Hear whatever stay. Jesus is mine. Perishing things of clay, born but for one brief day, pass from my heart away. Jesus is mine. That is how we need to respond to sorrows. Verse 8, We see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus. We see Jesus. I keep saying that. The book From Shattered to Substance by Roy Hessian, that was the person that wrote We, uh, we Would See Jesus. and He's talking about, well, he's talking about this. the book he wrote From Shattered to Substance, but he says, as you study this book of Hebrews, read with a hungry heart, expecting to see Jesus as the answer to your need. I would be disappointed if all you got was a new understanding of the epistle rather than a new sight of Jesus. And just this week, I was reading in Matthew, there, the Christmas story, the New American Standard. Uh, has these for Matthew 2, 9 to 11. And having heard the king, talking about the wise men, they went on their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented them gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now that was the star that was leading them to Christ. And they came into the house and they saw the child. And they fell down and worshipped him. And so when we see Jesus, do we rejoice with exceeding joy? Do we fall down and worship him? How many of you have heard the song, I stand in awe? Uh, Years ago, uh, Sterling Beach had this singing group called Valley Voices, and they sang this song, and I'm sure I have it on a tape somewhere, but I don't know where it is. Uh, You are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depth of your love? You're beautiful beyond description, Majesty enthroned above, and I stand, I stand in all of you. I stand, I stand in all of you. Holy God, to whom all praise is due, I stand in all of you. Am I here? Some of you, good many of you. Okay, do you, do I stand in awe of God, God incarnate? Do we rejoice? Do we worship? Do we love? How do we respond? How do we respond? And how do we respond? I thought about the little children's song, or the little children's poem, like when you have school has a Christmas program. Sometimes the little children will say this one, but you know about what can I bring Him poor as I am? Well, that that's the last that's the last stanza of a poem by Christ, uh, Christina Rossetti, and uh, so actually it's several stanzas. Uh, But the last two stanzas of the poem go like this. Angels and archangels may have gathered there. Cherubim and seraphim thronged the air. But his mother only in her maiden bliss worshiped the beloved with a kiss. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? Give him my heart. Do we see Jesus? Do we love Jesus? Give him my heart. That's, that, that's my whole being. That's everything about me. What can I give him? Give him my heart. Yeah. Let's kneel for prayer.